If you want to make an audiobook, go to thetalkingbook.org. That's thetalkingbook.org. Check out these amazing writers, narrators, indie publishers. Come to Asheville. We record books in a booth. Here's the show. Hi. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris Hartram. I'm here at the Talking Book in Asheville, North Carolina, in the River Arts District. It's freezing cold outside. It's 16 degrees outside. My children are at school. My wife is at work. And my bulldog is snoring behind me. That's right. If you listened to the last episode and you wondered to yourself, what kind of dog did Chris pick up for his kids at Christmas? Well, the answer is a classic bulldog. More popularly known as an English bulldog or a British bulldog. Her name is Betty. Betty the Bulldog. Call her uh, Bet. Bet Midler. She's a fine, muscular pup. She's kind of built like the uh, the British bulldog, like the pro wrestler from the '80s, '90s. If you ever watched wrestling back then. Speaking of that, uh, I saw the Iron Claw in the theater for a second time, and I know it's probably almost gone in the theaters. And of course, it was completely snubbed by the Oscars. Uh, but whatever. It's great. I cried. I never cry. Not since my mom died. Uh, But this movie, man, ripped my heart out, cut it up into little pieces, shoved it down my throat for various reasons. It's about brothers. I have a bunch of brothers. Nostalgia of watching pro wrestling back in the day. Uh, The beauty of combat sports, self-destruction, delicate masculinity. Anyway, it's amazing, you know, all the dynamics. Go see it if you want to be a sad boy or a sad girl. My wife, she cried her eyes out too. Betty the Bulldog approved. Anyway, today I have a reading from Modeling House by authors Christina Quay and Chase Griffin. The book is, get this, How to Play a Necromancer's Theremin. Between the pages of an ever-shifting eternal text known as the Patosphere, a coven of psychedelic fiction fanatics, and a duo of agents working for a private intelligence firm known as the Geist LLC navigate their way simultaneously through a labyrinth pilgrimage to the old haunts of their favorite thought form, a cult classic weird fiction author named Rocco Adelby, who may or may not be both creator and destroyer of their world. It sounds wild. I love this kind of old school cult shit. Um, This seems very legitimate too, like, Listen to the reading. I think you're going to like it. Then you're going to go buy the book from Modeling House. Take a listen to How to Play a Necromancer's Theremin. As peanut debris hit the back of my neck like shrapnel, they joined forces to kick the hell out of my seat, which not only aggravated the hell out of me, but also the random guy seated between them who kept calling himself Holger. Coincidentally, Holger was the name of the hero in every novel Rocco Adelby ever wrote. And it only pissed off our temporary traveling companion more each time we roared with laughter at his name. Will you please refrain from kicking that seat? Holger asked. It's bugging the hell out of me. And I need you to listen. I have limited time, I think. I spontaneously manifested into this seat to warn you 
of actuality-shattering danger. Shut up, Holger, Will said. No one cares. Holger ignored Will and said, The danger is a fluctuation on the horizon of the patosphere. Ruby ripped open his third bag of peanuts with such vehemence that the contents went airborne, scattering like confetti. I caught the eyes of the flight attendant, who was glowering at us from behind the first-class curtain, with only her face poking through the red velvet. We're well aware of the fluctuation, Will said. Do you work for Adelby Tours? Ruby asked spewing bits of the peanuts papery inner shell with every word. I didn't know we'd be accompanied by a guide. Is this, like, a surprise accommodation? Holger continued. I implore you. Everything in existence is at stake here, and I have limited time. Hey, do you want your peanuts? Ruby asked, licking the empty bag that had exploded. I spilled mine. <laughs> Newsom turned and peered through the crack between our seats and said to Holger, You really are what I've always imagined Holger to look like. Babe, get a load of this jackass. Newsom smacked Bobby, who was busy tearing to shreds a copy of Rocco's Winding Arbor Soul. The cover was a classic sci-fi pulp by Rocco's wife renowned artist Beatrice Tinzen. A spiral staircase made of clock gears, which were in turn made of tiny clock gears, which were made of even tinier gears, and so on, corkscrewed out of a bright blue square, opening at the top of the cover into an asymmetrical palace interior, whose walls, floor, and ceiling were a flat mosaic of mashed-together pastel furniture made of elaborate ornamentation and serpentine lines that guided the eyes back to the spiral staircase, which corkscrewed through a crack in the floor into a realm of smoke plumes. Bobby meticulously tore the shreds into the tiniest pieces he could, accumulating a sizable pile on the fold-down tray on his lap. He paused to rustle around in his carry-on bag and triumphantly slammed down a mortar and pestle next to his highball, which splattered all over me. Jesus, Bobby, I yelled at him. You're going to get the pages wet, dipshit. You're in the splash zone, he cackled, <laughs> continuing to shred book pages. Holger cleared his throat. <clears> throat> Fine. Listen or don't listen. At this point, I don't care. Rocco has used his infernal machine so I could warn you that... Whoa! No shit. You've even got a scar on your left eyebrow. Like the one Holger gets in Wanderer's Task, Newsom said, reaching over the seat with her arm outstretched to poke the Holger look-alike. He swatted her finger away. Holger said, Before my body gets reabsorbed by the next fluctuation, 
you've got to know you can find clues Heinlined throughout Rocco's novels that can help guide you. There are several contingency plans scattered throughout non-linear time, but I don't know where, and neither does Rocco. I told him before I came here, we should take a little more time to figure everything out. But he said, there's not enough time to take a little more time. Whatever that means. Either way, what I do know is <laughs> they've really made the Adelby pilgrimage quite immersive, interrupted a man across the aisle. He wore a tweed suit and chewed on the cherry stem from his amaretto sour. You've been on the pilgrimage? I asked. You could say that, he responded. You're in for a wild ride. Ruby and Will continued their assault on my seat. I had turned and looked through the crack to see what the Holger doppelganger would say next. But he was gone. Where'd he go? I asked as I pulled out a paperback of the first of Rocco's posthumously published novels, Prima Materia and the Golden Tablet, from my suede messenger bag. I took one long last look at the original first edition artwork by Beatrice. Neon rainbow spumes shot into an open book surrounded by thousands of tiny faces, each with their own unique characteristics. I squinted at the face near the bottom left-hand corner. It was a face that had spooked me out since I first encountered this edition in high school. The face looked a lot like my own. I tore the book to shreds until only the husk remained. I chucked the shell behind me and assumed it landed in Holger's empty seat. Curious, I turned and peered through the crack in the seat. Lo and behold, I scored. Will winked at me and pulled out a copy of Rocco Adelby's Unabridged Exegesis. I asked, Why'd Holger waste so much time with that pre-explanation anyway? He didn't even have time to info dump about the fluctuation he said was so important. I don't know, Ruby said. I stopped paying attention to him. He ripped the pages of the exegesis from the spine, also tossing the shell into Holger's empty seat. The cover art was a gold leaf rendering of Rocco's own making, his famous sketch of what he called the patosphere a pan-dimensional sphere that appears to be eating itself, a symbol he created to represent the all-encompassing dualist universal narrative he believed entombed all of creation. Will said, Looks like Holger finally fucked off. Good riddance. He pulled a paperback of Rocco Adelby's first novel, Wanderer's Task, out of his blue backpack and tore the pages from the spine and dropped the shell of the paperback onto Holger's empty seat. The cover was yet another first edition Tenzin piece. The purposeless box that switches itself off when one switches it on hovers in the center atop the Isle of Aurora, its cliffs curving into themselves to form a circle, the ocean splashing golden waves like a chaotic tidal pool in the island's center. 
the finger that pops out of the top hatch of the purposeless box that, ironically and iconically, had a purpose within the novel, to flip the switch into the off position, taunts the viewer with an upturned come-hither waggle to invite potential readers into the actuality-shattering realm of Rocco Adelby. Ruby whipped out a copy of High Weirdness by Dr. Eric Davis, pulled it open, and just before he was able to rip the pages from the spine, Will smacked the book from his hands. Will picked High Weirdness up from the floor and stuffed it into his own carry-on. Will said to Ruby, That is my book. Have you been rifling through my belongings again? You have no right to destroy my property. And, my God, man, do you have any idea what would happen to actuality if you had gone through with it? You need a chaperone. You're out of fucking control, Rube. I am your chaperone for the rest of the pilgrimage. Bobby hacked a loogie and spit into his cup of tequila-flavored ice. Probably had to take a piss, he said referring to the mysterious Holger. He waved over the annoyed flight attendant. I need another drink. He tore the final pages from Winding Arbor Soul and tossed the shell backwards, and it landed on Holger's seat, next to the shell of Wanderer's Task. Newsom punched Bobby in the shoulder. You've had enough. She pulled out a copy of Chronotope and the Makers, freed the pages from their binding with an emphatically fast and loud rip and chucked the cover to its burial seat. This was a newer edition, and the cover did not do the novel justice. The original Tinzen cover was a quintet of robed figures, faces hidden inside the dark recess of their hoods, and their bodies repeated as outlines of glowing, multicolored neural webs, and the trail of the outline zoomed toward a vanishing point sitting below a checkerboard atmosphere. This new cover was a totally uninspired watercolor of a hammer smashing a window which does not open to freedom but to a brick wall. I haven't had nearly enough, Bobby said as he ripped a pinch of corners from his page bunch and crushed the pulpy confetti into his ice with the pestle like he was preparing mint and ice for a mojito. This is the pilgrimage. You don't do the pilgrimage straight.
right, everybody, that was How to Play a Necromancer's Theremin by Chase Griffin and Christina Quay. You can get it now everywhere indie books are sold. Go to shop.modelinhouse.net. I'm going to leave links in the show notes, but do not sleep on this one. It seems so fun. Chase Griffin and Christina Quay are reclusive authors and not much is known about them. It is rumored that they live in Florida. They have three children. They have pet alligators and they spend their spare time building orgone accumulators. The music you just heard in that clip was by M. Kilcullen, a musician and videographer working and living in New Jersey. You can find him on Instagram at tech underscore verse underscore horse. I'll leave that also in the show notes. Thanks again to Modeling House for hooking us up with this reading. If you want to read for the talking book, you can submit a reading to chris at talkingbook.pub. You can also visit the talkingbook.org. You can also come to Asheville and you can play with Betty the Bulldog and see Dave and see Pumpkin Seed the Cat at the studio where you can record your book and have a great time. The talkingbook.org. Go check it out. Anyway, please go see the movie The Iron Claw if you can before it leaves the theaters. My name is Chris Hartram. Farewell, everybody. Like a bishop who has forsaken sympathy Chasing sister squares I was lit before I Door was passing over, and the window.